What is up, Washington football team fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast. And guys, it is Monday, so you know we leave you with a timestamp. It is Monday, December 13th, and I had to wait a day, to be honest. I had to wait a day to reserve some of my emotions because the Washington football team laid an egg against the Dallas Cowboys, and they lost the game 27-20 to in a game where the final score isn't indicative of how bad of a blowout this game was. You guys may look at this final score and think, oh, it was a one-possession one game, and Washington had the ball with the potential to tie it. But the, that, that, the score doesn't paint the whole picture, and this is what we're here to do over at Bleeding B&G. We're here to paint the entire picture, to lay out the game, and lay out everything about Saturday's matchup with the Dallas Cowboys. So as I mentioned, um, we lost. We laid an egg, 27-20 um, to 20 against the Dallas Cowboys. But the title of this episode, I'm actually going to go with Little Brother. I'm actually going to go with Little Brother because um, it took me 26 years. It took me 26 years for me to admit it, but man, where where are the Dallas Cowboys' little brothers? Where are the Dallas Cowboys' little brothers? And I've heard fans say it before while I was younger in trash talking. I've even heard a couple fans talk about it in recent years. But yesterday actually like opened my eyes. You know, I had a first person experience point of view to it. And yeah, like, they, they, hey, you Dallas Cowboys fans were telling the truth. You guys are big brothers. You guys are our big brothers. Our big brothers that aren't as just as non-successful as us. Keep in mind. So we, we both may still be living in our mama's house. You may be 27. I may be 24. But you know, y'all are our big brothers. It is what it is. And the reason that I say that is, guys, we got our butts whooped on and off the field yesterday. We got our butts whooped on and off the field throughout the entire week. Throughout the entire week. But I'll touch on that because, you know, over at Bleeding BNG, we're all about the game analysis first. But I'll talk about all of, all of the off-field aspects, the environment at FedEx Field, and things like that. So, if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. I want to get all these subscribers in. We're making our way to 1,000. We just passed over the 100 subscriber mark on YouTube, and I greatly appreciate all you guys for that. Even if you haven't su subscribed, if you're just listening on a one-off, I appreciate you guys for supporting the Bleeding BNG um, podcast, and thank you guys for tuning in to another that episode so let's get into this game so as I do with every game I'm going to start with the offense but guess what this is going to be pretty fast because when the offense puts up 29 yards at halftime there isn't really much to talk about so I'm going to start with the quarterback play Taylor Heineke played like garbage Taylor Heineke played like garbage and this is the reason why throughout the season, throughout this four-game um, four winning streak, I've told you guys I never thought that Taylor was the guy. While I was warming up to him and things like that and seeing a lot of positives that he's exhibited throughout this four-game winning streak, a lot of his limitation and a lot of his faults came and reared his head in yesterday's game. So let me go ahead and read his stat line first. Um, he was 11-25 for 122 yards. Let me read that again. He was 11-25 for 122 yards in an NFL game. With one touchdown and one interception. Um, he, he saw a ghost in the pocket all day. He saw a ghost in the pocket all day. And I'll touch bases on this a little bit more when I get into the offensive line. Who had arguably their worst performance of the season. But Taylor was just out there like frantic. 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 He showed a lot of the, the you know, frantic play that we saw earlier in the season. In the, in the Green Bay game. Diving short of the one yard line. In the Buffalo game and things like that. Uh, and, and it got to the point where when we fell behind 18 to nothing, you knew we weren't winning that game because Taylor isn't the guy that can't throw you back in the game. 
I've told you guys this in you in, in episodes before. While I do think that you can win with Taylor, Taylor is not a guy that you're going to win because of him. Like, you have to have a good supporting cast, and they have to be playing on their A game. And he can give you just, you know, sufficient enough quarterback play in the moment for you to win that football game. But never, never should you think that Taylor, Taylor Heineke is your answer at quarterback for the long term. At all. At all. This is a guy who's throwing in the triple coverage. Yeah, I know the stat line read as one interception. He could have very well had three, four, or five. And, and I told you guys last week, he's, I, I really believe like, he must have some good juju on his side. I couldn't really t- tell based off the way he was playing yesterday. But as far as interceptions go, Taylor Heineke, you must be like praying to the interception God. You must have an interception voodoo in your backpack. Because I've never seen as many defenders drop as many interceptions as they do for Taylor Heineke. We were talking about the crucial drop that Trayvon Morig, the safety for the Raiders, had last week that could have ended the game. Well, the, the Dallas Cowboys had about four or five of those yesterday. So he's if you're over there playing to the interception Jesus, interception voodoo dolls, I don't know what's going on. But, hey, hey I, 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 I guess that's a positive. I guess, I mean, you still resorted in, into one interception. But, like, the play was horrible. The play was horrible. There were three there were uh, throws that were there all game, specifically deep ball throws that Taylor just didn't look at because he knows he can't get the ball there. This is a man who knows. I, 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 I'm glad that he's self-aware of his wet noodle Chad Pennington type arm. But, like, we have to do something. We have to do something. There's no reason why Kyle Allen checks in in the fourth quarter. And by no means am I saying Kyle Allen is the answer. But he gives you the best ball of the day. The best ball on the deck of the day on a play or on a route that was there the entire game. That Nava was there the entire game. Um, the Dallas Cowboys were playing a lot of cover too, with this with the cornerbacks playing extremely shallow, playing extremely hard in the flats, um, playing everything in front of them, biting down on everything underneath, and those um Fly routes or those now routes or those routes in between the corner and the safety and cover two, those were open all game. Those were open all game. One Taylor hit on a good ball to Cam Sims on a ball when he looked like he threw all his might into it. But granted, it was a touchdown. He let uh, Cam make a play on the ball. But there were about four five other balls where he just didn't throw them. He just didn't throw them. And then granted, he throws one late. To Terry McLaurin, where he's waving him. Go, go, go. He's waving him. My, my guy. My guy. My guy. If you're going to wave your receiver, go deep. If you're going to wave him back and tell him to go deep, you got to make sure that you're getting the ball to him. You have to make sure that you're getting the ball to him. We can't be throwing up. We can't be, ah, ah, go deep, go deep, go deep, and then throwing a ball that I could have made. Then throwing a ball that's 10 yards short of your intended target. If that didn't show you right then and there that Taylor has a wet noodle arm, then I won't. I don't know what play will. I know we have a few of those Heineke believers that just don't see, doesn't see anything he does wrong. But yesterday was probably his worst game of the season. Yesterday was probably his worst game of the season. Granted, he didn't have a clean pocket at all times, but when he did, this is a guy who, who like I told you earlier in the season. He's too short to see these intermediate routes. I don't know how he was hitting them during his four-game win streak. Maybe we just call it a, a, a magic spell. That's what happens with the ebbs and flows of the NFL season. But he's missing throws inside the middle of the um, inside the, in the middle of the field because he can't see over six five Eric Flowers and six five Brandon Scherf. 
That's the only explanation I can see why. Because I'm seeing these throws from section 139 in the stands. I'm seeing these dudes open. And I'm not even going to act like there was a lot of those throws yesterday. But when they were there, you missed them. And the reason that there weren't a lot of those throws there yesterday is because the Dallas Cowboys game plan was to have Taylor throw outside of the numbers and have him beat him that way. And he couldn't. And he couldn't. These are the reasons why, even though we went on a four-game win streak, I still believe that you need to go find your franchise quarterback this offseason. It's a must. It's a must at this point. These are the limitations that had this guy sleeping on the couch this time last year. These are the limitations that had this guy as a backup in the XFL. He was a backup in a now non-disfront uh, football league. And these are the limitations. Yeah, I know he knows the offense. That's what's his saving grace right now. But when Scott Turner has to go away from the offense or, or the, the schematic flow of the game because we're down 18-0, you have a guy at quarterback right now that can't win you the game, can't throw you back into the game. It's impossible. Not with Taylor Heineke. Not with Taylor Heineke. Speaking of the deep ball that he threw to, to, to Terry McLaurin, he was just making bad decisions yesterday. As I mentioned, the deep ball that he threw to Terry McLaurin, you throw a hospital ball to your number one wide receiver, who is now in concussion protocol, with your almost $11 million free agent acquisition wide receiver in Curtis Samuel, is in, is in the flats, wide open, screaming for the ball. Because he know he didn't do much else throughout the game. So he know he wasn't getting open and throughout the rest of the game. So I know why he was screaming for the ball. Because that was his one opportunity to make a play. And you just don't look at him. And that, that wasn't a throw in the middle of the field. That was outside. You're rolling right. And he, he looks like he's in your line of vision. Like, like these, are, these, are, these are the things that we can't add. These are the things that I'm trying to figure out why all these Heineke believers aren't seeing. Or they're choosing not to see. Because at this point, the, the limitations are clear and evident. And then this is my thing. Taylor, one of Taylor's biggest pros is that he's a plus athlete at the quarterback position. I believe that Taylor Heineke is a top 7 to 10 athlete at the quarterback position in the NFL. So why are we using our legs? Why are we using our legs? Why? Why? And I get it. I know that, you know, it's, it's coming out now today that he was you're having an elbow injury and a knee injury throughout the game. Then you should have came out. You should have came out. Because if I can remember, Coach Rivera told me and the rest of the fan base last season that Carolina could have did the same thing that Alex Smith did last season. And that was better than what I saw from Taylor Heineke yesterday. So why wasn't he coming out the game? But these are the kind of things that, you know, happens when, you know, your head athletic trainer gets raided by the FBI and he hasn't been heard from since. Because we have no adults in the room making decisions on injuries. So these are the type of things that happen. So, I mean, the passing game was inept. The passing game was inept. I even heard Coach Rivera, and it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons that I actually held on to do my podcast on Mondays because, you know, I, I did want to reserve my anger. I know y'all didn't want to hear me all screaming, hearing all that feedback in your mics again, like I did during the Buffalo game, because trust me, that was not an enjoyable listen for me. I was actually turning red in that video, so I did want to turn red today, 
But I also wanted to hear some of the news and notes coming. And so, and what 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 did some of the Washington football team organization think about that game? And I'm hearing like Coach Rivera talk about like he didn't think that Taylor Taylor played horrible. He didn't, um, but he thought that Taylor was pressing and things like that. Uh, and he didn't really give Taylor a vote of confidence. But so here's my thing: if you felt like you had the game, like you said today, why don't you make the change? And then Taylor in the conference call yesterday said he was hurt throughout the game. And I believe it was after that first strip by Michael Parsons, who's a demon, who I'll touch on later. Michael Parsons is a demon. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Michael Parsons is everything that I thought Chase Young would be. And I'm not even talking about as a pass rusher or things like that. I'm talking about a dominant defensive piece that changes your defense, that changes the game. Michael Parsons has been everything that, that has been as advertised. But I'll get on to that later. And then I know Coach Rivera was talking about the interception. Talking about, oh, Dallas ran a zero blitz. It was a good call for that play. Yeah, I kind of understand it, Ron. I kind of understand it. But guess what? Quarterbacks in their right frame of mind, good, great decision-making quarterbacks, they chalk that ball. They throw that ball right into the line of scrimmage. You don't see a huge DN running at you. You still try to make the play when you're 5'11". When you're the same height as me. Or maybe a 6-foot quarterback, a 6'6 quarterback can make that throw. These go back to the limitations that Taylor Heineke has. It's either a physical limitation or it's a mental limitation at this point. Because you chalk that ball. You don't try to make that throw. Perfect calls happen on perfect offensive plays all the time. You know what I've seen Peyton Madden do in that instance? Throw the ball at his feet. Don't let a defender make a play. If my receiver isn't going to get it, nobody's going to get it. But I didn't see that out of Taylor yesterday. Then the running game was in that. Then the running game was in that. Antonio Gibson, you have to hold on to the ball. You lead the league in fumbles at this point. And I don't know how it's week 14 and you still on the ball like a loaf of bread. I haven't seen a running style change or anything. But guess what? We haven't talked about it in recent weeks because you've been having success. And we've been winning. But losing, losing exposes all. Losing exposes all. You haven't really been working on your running style and holding that football tight. You haven't. I even went back yesterday and looked at the Seattle game. You wasn't necessarily holding the football the tightest in that game. You just didn't fumble. You just didn't fumble. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think Antonio Gibson is a special talent. I think Antonio Gibson is a special talent. 6'1", six, six almost 6'2", two, 230 pounds. I really haven't seen that 4'3 speed um, that, you know, he exhibited in the combine. Um, or that he exhibited this, this year against Buffalo on the screen pass. I haven't really seen that speed since. Haven't really seen that speed since. Uh, like my buddy Todd from the Tay and Todd podcast, shout out to you guys. Um, me and him have this conversation all the time. Antonio Gibson could have so many 50 to 60 yard runs if he doesn't trip over the last defender. Or if he knows when to make the right cut and things like that. Things that he showed at Memphis. So I'm trying to figure out like where his open field ability is gone. And by no means do, and do I think that Antonio Gibson is playing bad. Don't, 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 don't think that by, by my criticism today. But there's some things that he can improve on. There's some things that he can improve on. Yesterday, he had 10 rushes for 36 yards. 
with a 3.6 yard per carry. If we can't run the ball on Dallas, then that's concerning. That's concerning. And then here's the biggest number that stuck, that stuck out in my mind throughout all the stats in the game. He only had 10 rushes. He only had 10 rushes. That's because we let the game get away from us. We let the game get away from us and we lost our identity. No way that we can feed, feed Antonio Gibson like we've been doing these 30-plus carries or 30-plus touches a game when you're down 18-0. And I really want to touch on the call that got us down 18-0 in the first place. Your defense is playing okay. Your offense is putrid. You have the ball not in field goal range, but on plus side of the field. The, like I said, the offense was playing putrid, putrid. Why are we going forward on fourth and three? Why? Why, Coach Rivera? Why, Scott Turner? Because if I can tell at that point from the stand that the offense didn't have it, why couldn't you? And guess what that results in? The biggest player in the game and a score for Dallas. So now, not only do you not score or cut into their deficit, but they extend the deficit. And now you got a quarterback that can't throw you out that deficit. And now we got to get away from my identity of smash mouth, ground and bound football because we're down 18 points in the first quarter. Yesterday was so embarrassing, man. Yesterday was so embarrassing. While I didn't see too many Cowboy fans in my section, because we are behind the Washington football team bench, and my seats are really good. So, you know, we're, we're pretty close to the Washington football team bench. But it, it, it got very depressing for me to look just across the field, and I saw, just saw a sea of blue. It looked like the Antarctic Ocean out there, Jones, so much blue in the stands. And, and like, you heard it after every play. You heard it after every play. Amari Cooper makes his first catch. It's like, cool, so loud in the stadium. It made my air ring. I'm like, are we in Arlington? Are we in, are we in, are we in Arlington, Texas? Are we in Dallas? But you have to keep all that in mind. That's exactly why you don't go forward on fourth and three. Your home field is cheering for you on fourth down anyway. So why are you going for it? Like they're trying to deviate you to do something where you either jump off sides, the communication isn't there, or something like along the lines of that at home, which is ridiculous, but you still go forward and we saw a result. The demon that is Michael Parsons tackle set Taylor Heineke, strip sack, another Dallas Cowboys defensive lineman ran it in for a touchdown. And my thing is, on that play too, was there nobody that was just trying to run him down? Or was just everybody in our office that slow? That dude took forever to get down, down that sideline. And I don't even think it was a physical issue. It's, a, it's an effort issue. I saw a dude stop running on that play. And we want to talk about culture change and things like that. It's mighty funny that the culture change has been brought back up once we start winning. The culture isn't going to change until, until you start winning on a consistent basis. Because, yeah, we can have these little flash-in-the-pan win streaks and things like that. But guess what? We ultimately turn our ugly heads and wear ourselves to the Washington football team that we've been for the last 20 years. Like, it's a joke, man. It's a joke. It's a joke. The passing game was non-existent. 
Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and De'Ami Brown combined for zero receptions for zero yards. Let me repeat that. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and De'Ami Brown. That was your wide receiver. One, two, and three going into the season. Go look at the depth chart if you think I'm lying. Those guys combined for zero catches and zero yards. I'm over here typing, hyping up. Oh, Trayvon Diggs is trash. Terry McLaurin's going to wash him. Yeah, I wish Taylor Heineke could give him a chance to let him wash him. Granted, I don't think that Terry has gotten a separation throughout these last couple of games that he had got earlier in the season. I don't know if he's he's injured. I don't know if he's just not running as fast. I don't know if he has tired legs. But I don't see the separation that I saw from Terry McLaurin. But he, he had Trayvon Diggs beat on a couple passes. He did. He had Trayvon deep, beat deep on a couple of deep balls where that stat line might have, while it might not have been great, it might have been more like instead of zero receptions for zero yards, maybe two receptions for 37 yards or something like that. Which, I, which I'll take more than zero for zero out of our top three receivers. I tell you, week in and week out, the Army Brown just be out that jump running around. I've told you this since week four. Now everybody in the Washington football team community wants to wants to talk about it and harp on it because he tripped over himself last yesterday. You know who that didn't surprise me. I told you we're first over here on everything over at Bleed and BNG. Might as well call me Stunner Diamonds. Like, do I have a crystal ball? I told y'all this guy was ass a long time ago. He has the career path, from what I see, he has the career path of a Devin Thomas. He has the career path of a Devin Thomas. This is a man who has 86 more yards than me, and he's played 14 games. 13 games, excuse me. All right. Speaking of De'Ami Brown, who, who in their right mind thought that it was okay to give him all these snaps over Cam Sims throughout the entire season? Your leading receiver yesterday, Cam Sims, three receptions for 69 yards and a body bag where he body bagged Trayvon Diggs. You know the guy that I said Terry McCoy was going to torch? Well, that didn't happen, but Cam Sims, you know, made up for me because I was out there looking like a dumbass at halftime. I'm out there yelling at Dallas fans because Lord knows we was outnumbered 10 to 1. Lord knows it. But I had two trash talking points where I, 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 just, I, just, I was just yelling it. And it would stop all trash talk yesterday. I can't even use it anymore. So I'm glad I used it as much as I did before the game yesterday. Before we got our asses whipped. But any Washington football team fans, all you have to do if you're getting into it with a Dallas Cowboy fan and they're talking rah, 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 even though they haven't won a Super Bowl since the 90s since, all you have to do is tell them the first one is that Dez didn't catch it, they'll shut right up. They'll shut right up. I had one dude get so mad at me yesterday, he's like, oh, dude, that's off. Well, he didn't catch it, bro. And two, you tell them that Terry McLaurin is better than CeeDee Lab. You might want to save that for a week. Cause I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it after Terry gives you a zero for zero performance, but maybe going into the next game in two weeks, 
Just tell the Dallas Cowboy fan that Terry McClellan is better than CeeDee Lamb. Oh, they'll shut right up on the spot. But trust me, I saw it work numerous times yesterday. You got to ask my boy Rio. Shout out to Ramblin' uh, Mo Rio. Um, I love the work that he's doing on his YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, the passing game was non-existent. But going back to the coaches, who, th who I, I need answers. That wasn't rhetorical. Who thought it was okay to give De'Ami Brown all these snaps over Cam Sims? And this isn't Cam Sims' first year doing this. This is a guy that had eight receptions over 100 yards in a playoff game. This is a guy who's your best offensive player in one of your biggest wins last season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So what, did, did we just like forget that Cam knew how to play football? Like I'm really confused. And guess what? He gets inserted again yesterday, plays almost 60% of the snaps. A lot of that had to do because with Terry McClure missing almost the whole second half. And he makes, he makes more plays than De'Ami Brown has made all season. It's not a coincidence. This sounds like the early, early starter years where we were just giving guys jobs based off their draft status and their how much money they, they were getting paid. That's not how you win football games. But we want to talk about a culture. But we want to talk about a culture. You know what's 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 a bad what's what's a aspect of a bad culture? Forcing square pegs in the round holes, right? If Curtis Samuel isn't the Curtis Samuel that we bought him in to be, I don't care if he's 80%. Don't play him. I was told by Adam Schefter before the game we were going to get an increase in Curtis Samuel snap shares. The dude played 14 snaps yesterday. I want you to do me a favor. Whatever fantasy football app you use, whatever fantasy football app you use, go to that go to that app, click on Curtis Samuel's name for this week, and let me know what pops up. I'll show you mine. I think I might use it as the, as the thumbnail on this YouTube video. It may be my podcast artwork. I said yes last week that Curtis Samuel clearly isn't himself. This is a man with a running back background, and he, he's a hard runner, despite his small frame. If you saw Curtis Samuel at Ohio State, if you saw him at Carolina, you could tell that he played running back. He was a running back learning the receiver position, and it showed. He has the running instincts, the running ability, like top tier. I saw everything that I needed to see last week when he was brought down by a forearm. He simply doesn't have his legs under him. He simply doesn't have his legs under. And you don't want to eat crow and, you know, put him up for the season. So you'll rather just keep exhibiting the guy that's a shell of the guy that we bought in for during free agency. I'm, here, I'm, see, I'm seeing a lot of the foundational issues that I talked about earlier in the season when we were losing. A lot of it read his head yesterday. I told you. I told you that. The offensive line got outworked. They played their worst game of the season. They got outworked. They got work. They got whatever you wanted to call it. And it's to be expected. It's to be expected. This is a team that was on their fourth center. Or their third center. Just, just this week. Because Tyler Lawson did return. 
This is this is the team that's going through four centers. Go check my Twitter page early in the game at Bleeding BNG. Before the game, I told you this man Eric Flowers was limping so bad in, in warmups. I don't even know how he was cleared to play. I don't even know how he was cleared to play. He was walking around there like he was stepping on some hot 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 stones or something. He was limping so bad. And I love Eric Flowers. I love Eric Flowers. Don't get me wrong. I think he's the best guard in his team. <laughs> Brandon Sheriff, your ass. But there was no 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 way that 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 Eric Flowers was in there hundred percent yesterday. I don't even believe he was there like seventy five percent. Not the way that I saw him limping in pregame. And then he was giving up a couple of pressures, but he wasn't the only one. The floodgates was open yesterday, which confused me though, because Dallas does not have a big defensive line at all. They have three dynamic pass rushers, two from the defensive line position, and Demarcus Lawrence and um, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. But they're a team that we can they, they can be run on. But they own the line of scrimmage against us. They treated us like their little brother. That's why the title of this episode is called Little Brother. Because yesterday was embarrassing. It was, it, it was a coaching issue. It was a game issue. It was a player issue. It was everything. Because evidently the coaches weren't in sync either. Because I don't see how if we're a smash mouth football team and you know Dallas has the number one offense. They had it going into the game. They have a big play offense. I don't see how we even allow ourselves to get down 18-0. Because guess what? Now we got to drop back with a with a hampered offensive line. Down there every play. And Taylor was getting his ass bombarded. Any word you want to call it. I wanted to throw the towel in from, from the 11th row yesterday. I wanted to do it myself. I don't know if you guys saw this weekend. In the Lomacheco fight, he looked at, at the opposing boxer's corner like, you you wanted to stop the fight? That's how I felt like Dak Prescott was looking at me yesterday like, bro, bro, do something. Don't stop the fight. It's 24-0. Stop the fight. Dak Prescott, who played one of his worst games of his career, and we're still down 24-0. We get an interception from Dak Prescott in plus territory. It was amazing with amazing field position while the game is still close. I think Dallas was up 3-0 at the time. You cannot give the ball right back three plays later. You can't. You can't. And I, I, I mentioned this earlier in the pod, Coach Robert. Oh, they had a tremendous call. That was just a tremendous call for, for what we were doing. You know why it was a tremendous call for what you were doing? Because you run a goddamn screenplay every four plays. Every four or five plays. So, I mean, you can only guess with so much of what's coming. That's why Dallas was prepared for it. And I told you I'm a Scott Turner fan. I'm a Scott Turner fan, but I think he's taking a lot of heat. Because he's trying to cover up some of Taylor's limitations. No reason why we're down 18-0. You still call it sideways throws. Multiple sideways throws. 
horizontal throws. I'm talking about screens and bubbles and things like that. You know why? Because he knows his quarterback can't push the ball downfield. Which is sad. Which is sad. Sad. So I think that's enough for the offense. I don't even know how I spent 30 minutes on a team that gave you 29 yards in the first half. Horrible. Oh, one thing. DeAndre Carter. Beautiful story. You got to catch that ball, bro. You got to catch that ball, bro. I don't know if you 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 got some butter fingers. I don't know if you dipped your hand in some some butter right before that. Like the best ball of the game, a chance to bring us in the game that we were getting shellacked in, and you dropped that pass. You know what I wanted to see? I wanted to see one of them temper tantrums after you dropped that pass, like the temper tantrums you throw when you can't return a kick. That's what I wanted to see to show me that you really cared. Cause I couldn't tell the way you dropped that pass. Tremendous story. But guess what? There's a reason why I call this receiver Corterry and the Pips. Still. DeAndre Carter, you're one of the Pips. You're one of the Pips. You have to catch that football, bro. Now on to the defense. On to the defense. While I do think the defense played really, really, really good. I'm, I'm not going to say it was great or anything like that. There were some things that, you know, left a lot to be desired. Um, but I want to get into the positives first. Landon Collins, ever since you've been in the box, Landon Collins has been an impact player since he was inserted in the box. I don't care if you like him or not, but you can't argue with that. He was the first quote-unquote safety since 2007 to have a two-sack game and an interception. I love his range in the box. I love it. And I think his instincts help with that. Your instincts don't help as much in the back end when you got to cover 60 and 70 yards and you slow as molasses. But when you only got to cover a few yards, cover a few distance, a, a, a short distance, and you know where the play is going, you can become an impact player like Landon Collins has been over the course of the last month. So shout out to you. The linebacker play. Cole Hogan had a decent game. Cole Hogan is really strong. I think that Cole Hogan might be one of our top five best defenders, especially this season. But Jamin Davis just out there diving at dude's legs again, dropping interceptions. I know it's a happy Monday. I know it's a happy Monday, but we're going to turn this into Misery Monday really quickly. If you want to ruin your week, go back and watch that game film and go look at Micah Parsons play and go look at Jamin Davis play and just remind yourself that those both of those are first round linebacker talents um, nine picks apart all right it's, it's leaps and show one is one is being one is in the running for defensive player of the year and one can't even get on the field for third downs on this team that's given up one of the worst third down percentages in NFL history like who's making the decisions there Oh, whoa, whoa. Well, I heard all I heard all, all season and all this season. Oh, we weren't going to give up that. We weren't going to give up that to trade up for a quarterback. How much would you give up to trade for the the uh, presumed defensive player of the year? No, I didn't say defensive rookie of the year. The presumed defensive player of the year, which Michael Parsons is. He's in the running with like T.J. White and Miles Garrett. 
This organization does not attack success and they're complacent and I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. If you really wanted to, to rely on this defense to win you games, if you really wanted to rely on this defense to win you games like you claim going into the season, you go get that dude to pair with a Chase Young, to pair with a Montez Sweat. If you go with the philosophy that I heard going into the season, oh, these defenses, they, they won't get scored on. Oh, they, they this defense may be one of the best defenses since the 2008. My ass. My ass. My ass. And no, the defensive line didn't play horrible. I mean, the defense didn't play horrible as a unit. But John Allen and Matt Ioannidis, you both did have some pen, some costly penalties. John Allen's offside led to a Dallas Cowboys touchdown that resulted in a score of 11 to nothing instead of us being down 6 to nothing. It was on third down. We had got the stop. Dallas was about to kick the field goal to go up 6 nothing. Boom, offsides, first down. Guess what? Touchdown next play. Now, John Allen, you've had an all-pro season, but that can't happen. Especially not when you're calling on all these radios. I need all the fans there. I need all the fans there. I loved it. But you got to show me that you really wanted all the fans there. All right. The secondary played one of its better games of the season. I'll admit it. But I, I still think that we're playing too soft in occasions. I still think that we're playing too soft in occasions. Like when the third and 13 where CeeDee Lamb catches a, a screen pass and gets a first down. Yeah, a lot of it was because of our missed tackles. But why are we coming from so far to make a tackle? Why are we playing? Why are we playing up? To that point, Dak showed you that he wasn't going to beat you with his arm yesterday. He showed you he wasn't really going to beat you with his play yesterday. We just keep letting Amari Cooper catch all these hitch routes. He showed you he wasn't running by anybody, but you, oh, all right, I'll let him run his six-yard stop route. Let him catch it. Like, and if you see if Dallas is giving you what, you, what, what is taking what you're giving them, they're like, adjust, adjust, adjust. I think that Cam Curl plays solid as Cam Curl always does. The second best defender on his team. I've been telling y'all that for what, two months now? But there's a lot of things that we need to work on. That game left a sour taste in my mouth because guess what? I'm not used to being little brother. I'm the oldest of six. I felt what it felt like to be little brother yesterday. I felt it. I felt it. And it started from the jump. I'm in the red zone lot. And I see this epic tailgate. I'm talking about caters. I'm talking about big mobile, big mobile, mobile stoves, big mobile grills, like crazy. I'm like, dang, Washington always showing out. They always showing out for Dallas Week. I drive a little bit closer. It's two hundred Dallas fans. Two hundred Dallas fans. And shout out to you guys for the hospitality. Hospitality, you fed me well and all that. That's why I only really had too much smoke for y'all today. Hey, the better team won. The better team won. But yesterday opened up my eyes to a lot. 
We letting these dudes bring in their own benches to our field. We letting these dudes bring in our own benches to our to our field. Do you think Joe Gibbs would have let that shit happen? Do you think George Allen would have let that shit happen? You out here letting teams guarantee wins. Then they bringing their own benches to your stadium. Then they whipping your ass 24 nothing. That's like a man coming, sleeping with your wife, putting your slippers on, and then tucking your kids in the bed at night. Like, what's going on? Let me simmer down, because this is the reason why I took a day. But y'all would have got 40 minutes of that yesterday at our party yesterday. We are little brother. We're in our hometown stadium, our home stadium, and we're getting our number 70 to 30. Just because I own it, I own it. Hey, I don't care who's in the stadium as long as it's filled. Like, it is bad. It's bad. I'm hearing a lot of, well, we still control our own destiny. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Check it with me after Sunday. Check in with me after Sunday. Because guess what? Jonathan Allen was put in, into the COVID protocol today. Terry McClellan is in concussion protocol today. And speaking of COVID protocol, Montez Sweat, you got to see me, bro. You got to see me. Mr. Oh, I'll, I'll get the COVID shot when I catch COVID. Face ass, boy. What? I'm telling y'all now. We had to play with our fifth and sixth defensive end on the roster because this guy came back after getting punched in the goddamn face and breaking his jaw. This guy comes back, test positive, the leader of the anti-vax movement. And hey, I have no, I have no opinion on your personal situation and whether you should get the vax or anything like that. No, no. Not by any means. But Montez Sweat was the leader of the anti-vax community or the conglomerate in the locker room in Richmond. And then he comes back returning from injury. But we came off a four-game win streak without him. And he comes back. And now our entire defensive end room has called it. And I was telling everybody yesterday, because um, these people like, no, well, no, he tested positive. He can't be in the building. Go look back at the goddamn tweets. He was on the side field all last week. He was on the side field practicing with other dudes all last week. So you really think he hasn't been in the building? They're like, oh, no, no, well, well you know, vaccinated players. I, I, I understand all that. It's more than a coincidence. That Montez Sweat, the leader of the anti-vax movement, returns, and then the players that have been balling in, in his place, Casey Tuell and Jay Smith Williams, all guys that are in the same room, get diagnosed with COVID when he returns. That's more than a coincidence. As I quoted before I got into this topic, in August, Montez Sweat said, you know, I'll, I'll treat COVID once I catch COVID. Now you've caught it. So I'm hoping that you're really taking it seriously about treating me. That's all I'm going to say. I hope you're taking it serious now about treating me. Because that whole situation is a joke. 
Now we don't know if Jonathan Allen is going to play in our biggest game of the season. Yeah, we were hyping up Dallas week and things like that, but Philly is right on our tails. Stop thinking about the division. That's done. Dallas has a division. We're, that, that's big brother. That's big bro. Right, right, right now, right now we're fighting if we're the middle child or the baby with Philly. And your best receiver is in concussion protocol because your quarterback wants to throw hospital balls while missing your prize free agent receiver in the flats wide open. Your best defensive player now has COVID playing alongside some of the players that also caught COVID in a room with a guy named Montez Sweat, who, you know, that just, you know, he'll, he'll treat COVID when he catches COVID. I'm going to just leave that there. All right. I don't know. We should. I, I, sh I should have known we were going to lose yesterday when the report came out that not only James Smith-Williams is going to be out, but Casey Tua as well. And we're lining up with our third-string DNs. Because that dude, Rotimi, whoever that is, the dude that jumped on a Dak Prescott fake and just let him run like six. He's straight butt. He's straight garbage. He's garbage. He's gar I see why you don't get on the NFL field. But like I said, Dallas, they just showed that they're, they're the better franchise at this point. They, they bring their fans out. Their stadium isn't a dump. And y'all probably saw, since our last episode, I went, I went viral on Twitter challenging the fans to come out. Challenging the fans to support this decent product. Now, the Washington football team makes me look like a dumbass once again. Once again. And you can be, oh, optimistic. Oh, it was a one-score game. Yesterday's game was a microcosm of, this, of the season. Was a microcosm of the last 20 years as a Washington football team fan. They'll do just enough to pull you back in just to break your heart. Just all over again. All over again. I'm over there thinking, oh, we really got this stop. I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't think we were gonna come back after the Cole Holcomb interception like some of you did. But when we got that three and all, I'm like, all right, we back in this thing. We back in this thing. I'm hyped. Guess what? Full honesty and transparency. I walked out the stadium by then. I walked out the stadium by then. Y'all thought I was gonna sit through that bloodbath? I walked in the state. Um, I walked out the stadium during Washington's um, drive where they scored their second touchdown. So I'm sitting outside the stadium looking at one of the big screens on the Bud Light Pavilion. I'm like, all right, we got a chance. But guess what? I wasn't the only one. It was hundreds of us that got tired of watching that football game yesterday. I'm like, all right, we got a chance. And two plays later, DeAndre Carter just, 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 just let the ball go down his chest, like, bro. It's just a microcosm of what the Washington football team epitomizes. Mediocrity, complacency, not attacking success. And as I just said, they do just enough to pull you back in just so they can break your heart again. 
Just so they can break your heart again. So that's it for today's episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 39. Um, shout out to you guys for listening. Shout out to you guys for supporting. As I just mentioned, as I mentioned at the beginning of the um, podcast, we just reached over 100 subscribers on YouTube. I'm noticing that my podcast plays are increasing by the episode. I'm talking about drastically. In some cases, double, almost triple by the episode. So I appreciate all you guys' support. <clears throat> it looks like we're doing something right over here. It looks like the content might be getting more better, more engaging, and things like that. I appreciate it. Uh, make sure you tune in to us on all podcast platforms at this point. We're available on all podcast platforms, but specifically on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you can review um, and leave a rating, um, just a quick five-star rating if you love our podcast, um, or just um, rate us appropriately, and then leave like a sentence-long review. Um, that can help finesse the algorithms so that when you're looking for Washington football team content, Bleeding B&G is being pushed to the forefront because we're giving you guys everything you want. I told you guys a long time ago, we want to be your number one content hub for everything Washington football team. So with that being said, be sure to check out our social media pages. I just mentioned, we go viral once a week at this point. Shout out to Fred Smooth and Santana Moss for the retweet and the repost. Follow us on our Twitter. That spelling is at BleedingBNG. B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So it's only one G in our Twitter handle. And then follow us on our Instagram, at BleedingBNG. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G, B-N-G. So there's two G's in our Instagram handle. And as I said before, be, sub- um, be sure to subscribe, to like, to comment on YouTube. Um, we're pushing out this content as much as we can. Um, my work schedule has changed, so these um, preview episodes for these matchups coming in the next four weeks are going to be pushed out to you. I know I promised them early in the season, but a lot of COVID complications affected up my work schedule and things like that. But, you know, my time management and things like that are getting better. Um, so these preview episodes will be coming out. Look for a preview episode for the Philadelphia Eagles matchup. Um, and I'll check in with you guys later. I'll check in with you guys later. But let's stay in the upset ups because we're technically, you know, we technically still control our old destiny. So let's keep these positive vibes going. And I'll check in with you guys later. Peace.